Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. Today on the Ether, the Injective Hackathon panel discussing tendermint and shared security. Let's take a listen. GM, GM, I think we're just waiting a, a few more moments or, or I guess whatever time of day it is for all of our listeners around the world. I think we're just uh, looking forward to getting a few other speakers up here on, on stage before beginning. But hey, Vinny, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me here. Thanks for thanks for being here. Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on here. Hope uh, hope everybody's doing well today. Okay, awesome, guys. Well, while um, we we kind of finalize uh, bringing up our speakers here, I know we have someone from from SCV coming up as or no no Vinny's here as well. So we have someone from uh, Informal Systems, and I see Informal Systems in here as well. So I think we are just working on um, finalizing um the the speakers up here but without further ado thanks to all of our listeners um and all of our community to coming to this uh injective hackathon panel um today's specific segment is tendermint and shared security um pretty much the base layer and most important aspect um of a lot of what building on injective entails and and you know is underlying in nature so with that said um, I think just uh, passing it off to our, our two panelists that are up here so far um, to just give a brief introduction on who you guys are and, and who you guys will be representing and how you've worked with Injective a little bit. And then from there, um, really looking forward to hopping into more so of an open form, um, you know, panel as to, you know, a lot of the, the different questions and exciting stuff we have to go through today for a lot of our hackathon listeners and hackathon participants. Also note that this is a recorded space, so many of our hackathon participants who are not listening at the moment can come back and listen later. But without any more from me, um, Ethan, see so you just got up here. Maybe perhaps we kick it off to you if, if, if that works to, uh, to give us a brief intro on you know, who you are, what you're, who you're working with, and, and how you became aware and, and working with Injective as well. Cool. Sorry, I'm late. Did I did I miss anything? Am I the first to kind of start here? Yeah, yeah. No worries. You're the, you're oh, wow. kicking us off. Nice. Uh, show me. Okay. Hey, everyone. Um, so thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm Ethan Buckman. So I'm the co-founder of Cosmos. So, um, you know, been building Cosmos for like seven years, or depending on how you count something like this. Um, and uh, these days, I run a company called Informal Systems. Um, we're structured as a, a, a workers cooperative. We're um, we do a lot of core dev in Cosmos. We work on Comet, which is our um, you know the new fork of, of Tendermint. We work on IBC, Cosmos Hub. Um, we also are a validator on, uh, on on many networks, including Injective, and um, and we do a lot of security audits. Uh, and so we've um, we have a particular focus in our security audits on. Um, on sort of correctness assurance through using formal methods tooling and, and trying to bring more advanced tools uh, to bear on on code. And I think that's kind of where our relationship actually started with, with Injective. We did an audit, um, I think it was uh, uh, last year or, or late 2021, um, and, uh, you know, used some of our, 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 our tooling and, and, and found some good results and, you know, been uh, impressed with the team and, um, you know, the quality of the code and, and, and the work that they've been doing and have really been following ever since, yeah. We can, I guess, we can get into that more over the course of uh, over the course of the discussion. But um, that's who I am. That's who Informal is. You should check us out. Uh, yeah, awesome. And then whoever kind of wanted to to take an next, go go ahead. Sure, I'll take over. Um, so yeah, I'm head of Americas at Zokio Facundo, um, and uh, yeah, I sort of you know started looking into the broader Cosmos ecosystem, Injective included. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff being built here. Um, I think particularly we'll probably dive into it a little bit, but you know the Tendermint consensus algorithm is uh, particularly interesting in this case. 
And um, yeah, just seeing a lot of promise and, and interest, you know, chatter from from different VCs and whatnot that we're partnered with that are sort of coming closer into the space, which is always great to see. Totally. No doubt. And uh, I think we just last for Vini. Yep. Awesome. So uh, I'm Vini, um, I'm the CEO and founder of the ICV. So we do security audits for specifically for Cosmos applications and we are um, we are um, we are expanding into uh, injective chain uh, because every every little piece of code we see from injective it's quality and then we really like to be uh, on board uh, with the team as well uh, and then we actually run the validators as well so we uh, which also includes injective and then we are very proud to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're very lucky to have you guys. So kicking off and, and jumping right into it, kind of our first question, um, and and just as you know proper kind of context you feel free to really open this to an open forum panel and speak of you know off the cuff as to whatever you think is kind of the most relevant and important um based on the question so security has always been a critical aspect within the the decentralized finance space as we know um, and has rapidly evolved over the past couple of years but what are the most significant cybersecurity threats currently facing organizations and individuals within this space and how have these threats um, you know, evolved over the past years. And, you know, with that also, what have been the sub- subsequent protections that you guys have put in place? Would love to kind of just kick that off to, to all of you guys to jump in. Yeah, happy to start off. Um, I think over the years, you know, there's been sort of a change in, in what sort of exploits are um, more common. Um, you know, lately we've we've had quite a bit of Oracle manipulation, whatnot, used to have, you know, the classic reentrancy or whatnot. Um, I think maybe, you know, looking a little bit forward um, with AI and whatnot, particularly, there's going to be more of uh, a push towards phishing. And this is something we've seen, you know, we've done InfoSec, for example, for Solana Foundation. Um, I, I think it's important for, for companies to, to sort of look forward to, you know, not just try to look backwards and prevent the threats that have already happened or already been developed, uh, but, you know, try to always be forward looking. Yeah, it's sort of a cat and mouse game, right? So as... Uh... As, uh, as as certain bugs, you know, start to get um, get found and, and exploited, and, and devs start to get smarter to it, and and you know, they, so reentrancy used to be a big problem. Now it's like you know, solidity one hundred and one that you're that you're kind of learning about about these things, and uh, and and the issues are sort of moving into other layers of the stack where there's where there's more complexity or things are newer, right? So whenever there are new complex protocols coming in in, in into use for the for the first time, uh, we'll tend to see um, vulnerabilities show up there. You know, so we're seeing a lot of um, uh, bridging issues, especially. I mean, these are these are pretty um, pretty kind of complex protocols, uh, cross domain protocols, especially that, that that typically where you find a lot of um, a lot of security issues is when is in the interfaces between domains, especially when things aren't uh, particularly well defined. I mean, even reentrancy is, is is a kind of form of that of you know reentering a contract, so re reaccessing its. Uh, it's it's interface, but you know, in in the world of bridges, you're you're crossing between two or many you know uh, uh, different uh, domains, and the, the protocols around that have, have been designed in um, in somewhat uh, sort of ad hoc ways, or or uh, you know, they're it's easy to exploit multisigs through social engineering, or there are sort of other issues, and and um, so I think it, it'll, it'll take a bit of time before the the protocols mature and the level of understanding matures around those things and and the designs are done in a way that are much more um defensive and i think what we're what we're what we're starting to see and you know we're seeing this in in smart contracts and hopefully we'll see it in uh, in other parts of the stack as well is just more straight up invariant checking right like we want developers to be thinking about what are the invariants that should never be violated and don't just rely on you know your imperative um uh, code snippets to like prevent that from happening by doing the logic correctly, but actually check the invariants. Are the invariants being violated? You know, has more money been paid out of this contract than than should have been? Uh, you know, has has uh, uh, has more money been minted over this bridge than you know has been locked up on the other side? So basic invariant checking, sort of everywhere, uh, is you know is, is sort of good defensive practice that can help start to start to catch these things. And um, but you know, it's always going to be sort of cat and mouse. So as new as new protocols come online, new uh, you know, there's always going to be um, there's always going to be new issues found with them, and, and we need to kind of keep upping the defenses. Yeah, that's awesome. I basically agree with it, with everyone. So basically, yeah. It's- Especially for the phishing attack, so it's very easy to actually fish someone if you do have the like if you know actually the the, the target. For instance, like it's much easier to actually hack a developer or like a team of or or a team of developers 
uh, rather than go for the contract itself, right? Uh, but we have to like we we cannot really forget about the soup the supply chain attacks as well. So they are very common and popular. So uh, for, uh, like let's say I can actually uh, go into uh, a vendor or like a third party provider uh, to actually do like a redress on that contract address of like a front end attack, right? So basically, I'm not gonna hack the contract itself, but I'm I'm just gonna re redress that address into the front end attack via. I don't know, you name it. So it could be like many things, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, this is one topic, right? So I think uh, uh, the more we go in crypto, like uh, physical locations, it's one of the big issues as well, uh, especially for a uh, developer that has a bit of control of the protocol or depends on the TPL itself or how the keys are actually stored or, or like who actually holds what. And then, yeah, so I think geolocation, physical location, it's become uh, a bit of a issue and a problem as well these days. Awesome stuff, guys. And yeah, without a doubt. So before diving in more so into the security topic and, and great answers all around there, could you guys provide a brief overview for a lot of the developers who could be building in this hackathon as to, from your perspective, what the Tendermint consensus algorithm is and how it compares to other consensus me mechanisms such as proof of work or other forms of proof of stake um would love to just get you know maybe given that we have ethan here today ethan maybe you could provide you know your version of a of a great answer <laughs> sure yeah um tenement consensus so i should uh, i should clarify that um you know it's still called the tenement consensus algorithm but the software we work on is now called um is now called comet so that's the 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 uh, you know fork of of the Tendermint core software that um, that we maintain at um, at informal systems and are, and are sort of moving the Cosmos ecosystem to using the idea behind um, Comet or initially Tendermint was to provide a general purpose engine for what we call uh, which is the general term for this phenomenon Byzantine fault tolerant state machine replication right and what that means is that we want to be able to take a, a state machine, which is to say an application, however you want to you know, define your application, could be a smart contract or set of smart contracts, a virtual machine could be the, you know, the injective application with the um, you know, exchange and derivatives markets or, or, or uh, whatever kind of application you want. We want it to run in a replicated fashion. So that's what state machine replication means, that it's that is running on many computers simultaneously in a way that if any of those computers fail, uh, the application is still is still running on on the other machines, and that they all stay in sync with each other, so that they're all um, you know they're all synchronized. They all have the same state, and and we can so that's the state machine replication part, and we can tolerate uh, arbitrary kinds of failures, right? So this is this is what Byzantine fault tolerance means. It means that we can tolerate. Uh, any kind of attack on the network or malicious behavior, so long as you know less than some threshold of the nodes are acting um, are acting maliciously. That that threshold famously being being one third, right? And so that's Byzantine fault tolerant state machine replication, and that's what um, that's what what Comet and previously uh, you know Tendermint Core uh, provides in a general purpose way so that you can build arbitrary applications in any programming language. And that was what was so unique, you know, you, uh, sort of one of the major initial innovations of, of the Tendermint consensus engine was that it allows you to build those applications in any programming language. Now, when we talk about proof of work and, and, and proof of stake and how um, Tendermint and Comet fits into all of that, um, it's, it's important to, you know, people, people kind of conflate things here, but it's important to actually differentiate what we might call the core consensus algorithm from what we could call the sort of economic anti-sybil or sybil resistance mechanism, right? And so uh, proof of work and proof of stake, more technically, are sybil resistance mechanisms. They're mechanisms that, uh, that provide sort of economic gates on who can actually participate in the consensus. But they're, they're technically not consensus mechanisms themselves. They're not, they don't actually define algorithms for determining you know, uh, how to replicate the state on many machines, how to stay in sync, what the actual consensus is. In proof of work, we would call, we would typically call the consensus mechanism something like uh, Nakamoto consensus or, or uh, you know, the longest chain sort of rule, the heaviest chain sort of rule. And the proof, of, the proof of work is how we measure what the heaviest chain is. The consensus is that you pick the longest chain and the longest chain is determined by a proof of work. In proof of stake, you have, you know, many different kinds of underlying consensus algorithms, uh, the Tendermint algorithm being one, but you know, basically every major proof of stake chain uh, is developing their own 
uh, a kind of kind of core consensus algorithm. Some of them are actually starting to use uh, uh, Tendermint or, or variations on Tendermint. For instance, I think we're seeing uh, Tezos uh, sort of move to Tendermint, but Tezos still has its own proof of stake model that's distinct from the proof of stake model used in uh, used in Comet. And so, what's so powerful about uh, sorry, used in Cosmos? <laughs> what's so powerful about about Tendermint or, or or Comet is it provides a very general purpose Byzantine fault tolerant consensus engine that's sort of battle tested and tried and true. But you can build build arbitrary applications and arbitrary economic logic on top. So you can build proof of stake on top and you can build different kinds of proof of stake. You could have a delegated proof of stake. You could build a proof of authority system on top of Tendermint where the validators are, are chosen by other validators. You could even use proof of work to select the validators that participate in the Tendermint consensus, right? So it's important to, to sort of maintain that distinction between like proof of work, proof of stake, the civil resistance, economic mechanisms on the one hand, and the actual core Byzantine fault tolerant consensus logic on the other. And, and, and Tendermint and, and Comet are really providing that, the core Byzantine fault tolerant consensus logic. And what's unique is that you can build arbitrary economic civil resistance mechanism, proof of work, proof of stake, et cetera, on, on top of it. And, and, and that's part of what's made um, you know, Tendermint so, so successful and, and sort of Comet is taking that to the next level and providing you know, application developers more and more uh, control over the underlying consensus, more ways to hook into it and and to um, you know advance new features like MEV protection or or to build price oracles directly in, in into the consensus or or provide other sorts of guarantees um, and 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 so that's sort of part of why uh, why Tendermint has been been so successful and where um, you know where Comet's going with it now. Hopefully that makes sense. Happy to clarify kind of any of that. No, no, no. That I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me, um, especially coming from a non-technical background and just learning about you know Tendermint on a deep level in the past couple of months. Thanks so much for really giving that explanation. Um, and and you know, we touched on this earlier, and I'd love to hear from all three of our panelists here. How does the Tendermint architecture enable cross-chain communication and facilitate the shared security between different blockchain networks? And how does that kind of differ from a lot of the bridge solutions that exist on the security side? And, you know, why, why do people trust, you know, transfers within the cosmos a lot more natively than, than they do outside? Um, would love to hear kind of all of our panelists' thoughts on that. I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to kick things off. Um, I would just say that it's, uh, so the, the part of what made Tendermint unique in this regard was the, the focus on um, on develop on being on being compatible with a very simple light client protocol. So it's it's possible to build and it's sort of easy to build. I shouldn't say too easy because there are sort of subtleties in the protocol, but um, it's sort of straightforward to build a light client for Tendermint blockchains, which makes it easy to build cross-chain protocols. And Cosmos specifically has focused uh, on building a general purpose interoperability protocol that's called IBC, the interblockchain communication protocol, which is technically separate from uh, from Comet, it's its own sort of uh, protocol stack that runs at, at the application layer. Uh, but uh, because uh, the Tendermint protocol is is so straightforward to build light clients for, um, you know, IBC has uh, has prioritized or, or focused on on supporting cross chain communication between Tendermint based chains, but is expanding to support <clears throat> to support other chains as well. So we've actually seen the first um, the first Polkadot chains are now using IBC for communication, and we're seeing other. Um, uh, we're seeing other ecosystems start to look at uh, adopting IBC because IBC, you know, IBC is, is quite distinct from um, from Tendermint or Comet as as a product. It's its own sort of interoperability uh, standard. You could think about, you know, to make an analogy between uh, with computing and the internet, Tendermint or Comet is like the operating system or the actual computer you use, and then IBC is like the internet protocol that your computer uses to connect to other computers, right? Um, and so uh, Tendermint-based applications or Comet-based applications can use IBC to connect to other blockchains, whether they're using Comet or some other, um, you know, some other consensus protocol. And because of all the work that was put into making IBC such a general purpose, broadly usable cross-chain communication protocol, not just for bridging tokens, but for, you know, arbitrary kinds of communications and, and, and applications, it's seen, you know, a, a lot of adoption. You can use it sort of out of the box uh, with the Cosmos SDK. And, and so, um, you know, now there's like 50 plus blockchains using IBC and, and, and connecting to, to each other. And so there's really a whole, you know, an, an internet of blockchains being born here. Yeah, that, 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 that's actually awesome. So it's very hard to actually compete with you, Peter. Uh, uh, sorry, Ethan, uh, with like explaining Cosmos and IBC, right? So uh, I just want to add like a few things actually. So IBC is basically like the, the 
TCP IP for like Web 2 or like Web 3, like you name it, right? So it's not mainly for Cosmos SDK. So basically what IBC aim to do is just connect uh, uh, all the uh, uh, blockchains itself in a, in a, in a spec or nice standard to actually uh, facilitate uh, to to transactions and then uh, moving uh, assets one side to another. Uh, re regardless uh, what chains connect to what. So basically to abstract uh, the uh, the actually connection be be between them two uh, via the re relayers that actually adds another uh, security layer uh, into the security itself from moving one side to another. Uh, that's pretty much it. So your, your, explaining, I mean, your explanation is very rich in detail, so it's very hard to add anything to it. <laughs> so it's awesome. Yeah, likewise. I think uh, Ethan here is uh, blowing this out of the water a little bit, but uh, very good to, to have a very thorough explanation. Without a doubt. So I, let, let's hop into some, some other kind of topics then too. And how does the role of validators, I know we touched on, you know, a few of you guys also run validators in addition to doing security audits and otherwise. How does the role of uh, validators within the Tendermint network affect shared security? And what are the incentives for validators to maintain that integrity for their entire network? Okay, I think I can take that one. So a validator plays like a very uh, crucial uh, role into the security itself, not only governments voting as well, uh, but a validator is incentivated to actually produce blocks. So if a validator doesn't really produce blocks, so it can get slashed, uh, which means like all the tokens bounded to a validator can actually uh, be reduced uh, as, as, as a penalty. <clears throat> and then uh, that is, uh, and then that's, Basically, why validators need to kind of sign blocks and then to make sure all the all the valid transactions <clears throat> are are, um, are valid, and then all the fake transactions, like I don't know, like they'll be spending on um, uh, spamming transactions that are actually removed from the um, uh, main pool uh, on the uh, on the validator check uh, 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 tra transaction, <clears throat> and then basically, uh, yeah, so that's basically it. So a validator can actually participate in in governance as well. And then there is a bit of an issue uh, on selecting validators and then especially with the commission itself. So what we've seen lately in Cosmos is that uh, validators who actually run 0% uh, commissions can actually attract more uh, 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 voting power uh, to themselves, which can be an issue, uh, depends on the chain. So we, we really don't want to have like validators having too much voting power, uh, which can actually uh, cause uh, issues uh, or even like help the, the chain if they're like malicious, right? So, so uh, in summary, a validator is basically like the core of, of, the, ne of the network. So just want to have like the most uh, decentralized as possible, uh, especially like in a geolocation, uh, if you think in a way. So we don't even have like all the validators from one specific country or one specific location, because if there was like any mitigations or anything uh, specifically to, to that uh, particular country, so uh, the chain can actually stop because the, the validators won't be able to uh, produce any more blocks and eventually like the chain will stop. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think that that's a, a pretty kind of good overview there in terms of you know your, the, how, how, how the process works. So then in, on top of that, and maybe I don't want to keep kicking back to Ethan, really appreciate having you on here. We are super lucky. We are all super lucky to have you here. How does Tenderman's instant finality really contribute to the overall um, security of a blockchain network? And when I, I think you touched on this really a lot before, but for on more of a level that would make sense to a lot of the developers who may not be cryptography native um, and who may be building via the modules that Injective has to offer, whether that be the exchange module, the binary options module, Oracle module, et cetera. Um, how would you find to you know explain the, the Tendermint's instant finality and how that provides advantages in comparison to kind of other blockchain networks um, that, that could exist out there? You throwing this to me? Yes, yes, yes. Or the, the whole right. panel. But I think that, you know, really, really important question for a lot of our listeners and would love to hear from you as well. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, I can give maybe a, maybe a quick answer, and, uh, and and some others can, um, can can fill it in a bit. I guess you know, in in the blockchain world, you know, starting with starting with Bitcoin, there was this concept of a sort of probabilistic finality, right? You have to wait six blocks for confirmation, and and even still, you know, you're you're not fully sure, and there's sort of an economic guarantee that the chain won't be reverted. And you know, Ethereum was able to to sort of make things um, make things go faster, but there's still that kind of um, you know, you have to wait multiple blocks and, and, and you, you only get this sort of economic guarantee. The idea with Tendermint was to, um, was to, uh, you know, so, so one way people think about this is in terms of these, these, uh, the kinds of guarantees you want out of your system are referred to as safety and liveness, right? And so every consensus algorithm is trying to provide both safety and liveness, safety being, uh, you know, a guarantee that nothing, you know, colloquially, nothing bad will happen and liveness being the guarantee that, you know, eventually something good will happen. And, um, you know, uh, the early blockchains really prioritized liveness over safety. They want to make sure that, you know, blocks are being produced, even if, even if some of those blocks are going to later be reverted, right? So, so there's something good happening, being blocks being produced. There's something bad, being blocks being reverted, right? Um, and so, whereas more classical consensus protocols, there's a long history of consensus protocols before uh, before blockchains. Every major internet service provider is using, or like you know, Facebook and and, and Google and, and Amazon. They're all using um, they're all using consensus somewhere in their stack. They're not using blockchains. They're using older kind of models. But they all they all prioritize safety over liveness, which is to say, the most important thing is that once something is committed, there's never any disagreement over it. It's never rolled back. And if necessary, they will compromise on liveness. So in other words, the chain will halt rather than potentially committing something that's later going to be rolled back. And so that that was the model that, that, that Tendermint took and that, and that Comet takes, of course, um, which is that uh, you know, we try to get to a commitment on a block uh, rather quickly. And once a block is, is committed, there's agreement on it. Um, unless something goes catastrophically wrong, it's not going to be rolled back. And so you get that kind of finality right away. But of course, it comes at the cost of potentially the network halting rather than making blocks that might later get reverted. And so if there's something going wrong or there's some kind of um, uh, you know, network connectivity issue or, or validators are offline or something like that, rather than continuing to make blocks that might later be reverted, the network is just going to, is, is going to halt until it can ensure um, that it's able to, to produce blocks that will not be reverted. And so the benefit that provides to developers is essentially stronger guarantees. You know, they don't have to wait as long for, for confirmation, generally speaking. And once they do hear about a block, that block is finalized. And unless there's some kind of catastrophic issue, they can depend on the transactions in the block, the results of the block, and so on. And so it's easier to sort of reason about from an application developer perspective, you know, moving forward with, with what's happening rather than constantly being trying to juggle the fact that, you know, the blockchain might reorganize itself and blocks might be rolled back and you might need to wait, you know, minutes or uh, uh, for a confirmation or, or something like that. So it does provide a much cleaner um, sort of UX for developers building applications to have that kind of instant finality and that um, that prioritization of safety. Awesome, awesome stuff. And then now, just to kick to a more open form question to, for all of our participants: How can org organizations really effectively balance the need for robust cybersecurity with the demands of user privacy and data protection? Really, in today's world, um, you know really pivoting away from a lot of the Tendermint questions before, but would love to hear everybody's different takes on kind of, you know, the balance needed as we move forward in this decentralized world, and as we see regulation begin to step in, et cetera, and, and kind of the, the need and use of privacy and data protections. Yeah, well, I think I can take that one as well. So uh, for data protection specifically, I think uh, the rule of thumb for this one is basically to adopt a security by design approach which basically ensure your solution or what you, you're actually proposing is doable and secure in a way to actually uh, provide users, users data protection and privacy, right? So you just don't want to store things like insecurely like, or even like un unencrypted, even if like sensitive, right? So you have to be careful with that. And then, um, yeah, so I think that encryption plays like a big role into in that as well. So even if the, let's say, let's move back to Web2 a, a bit. So if if we start stuff, you know, you know, uh, uh, AWS bucket, for instance, and then uh, on a bad actor be able to actually compromise that, that bucket. But uh, if the, the data itself is encrypted, so the attacker will not be able to do much if the key is not really compromised. So it's uh, it, like, it, it is like a mitigation <clears throat> by, by, by default. Uh, 
And another thing to mention as well is trying to protect the data uh, minimization. So basically, try to think if you really need that data uh, on like with you, like uh, uh, thinking like uh, whether if you really need to store a, a particular data set or not. So, and one of the most important part is to monitor uh, for suspicious activity. And of course, uh, uh, training employees or like whoever uh, uh, has control of the system, of the protocol uh, to like a security awareness, right? So be able to call any security incidents as soon as it happens. And I think, uh, I think that's the most important part is to uh, take like a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach, which means uh, uh, using like uh, uh, cybersecurity firms to uh, do like a, 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 a security exercise uh, to make sure all the vulnerabilities are mitigated or ac actually all the risks are like reduced uh, in case something really, really bad happens. And this is just like a, a general rules. Like, uh, uh, I mean, there is no right or wrong, uh, just like what could be like a good approach and then what could be like a bad approach in terms of uh, user privacy and data protection. Right on. Awesome stuff. Any other thoughts on kind of the, the future of, of data privacy specific to, to blockchains and how they kind of advance forward? I just think in general, the our blockchains are still all too, um, too plain text and... Uh, you know, there's still a lot of developments happening in the sort of zero knowledge world uh, and, and and privacy tech. And hopefully, you know, over the coming years, we'll see all of the blockchain move to um, sort of shielded designs where where things are private by default. And, you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate it's not like that yet. And, you know, privacy on, you know, Ethereum and, and even Cosmos chains is um, typically kind of abysmal. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we're all able to address that in, in, in the coming years, but it will have, you know, implications on application design. Um, you know, it's going to make things a little bit more complicated. It'll probably open up whole new classes of bugs um, to be to be attacked with with new cryptography rolling out. So, um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and and so we have uh, we we still have a lot of work ahead of us to to make this all uh, properly privacy preserved. Yeah, I think technical implementations of of privacy are very difficult, and there's obviously a lot of very smart people working on this. Um, you know, I think maybe some of the more near term stuff is in terms of you know regulation and whatnot, you know, seeing what happened to tornado cash and, and stuff like that and sort of the future of what's going to happen there, you know, um, how much privacy maybe will be allowed with existing solutions and then seeing, you know, what we can create in the future as well, more technically. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, totally agree there. So now also kind of jumping to another topic that's very interrelated. Um, now much more kind of 40,000 foot level how do emerging technologies, blockchain just being one, quantum computing being, you know, another example, um, IoT, et cetera, how do all these different types of things present new opportunities and challenges for security? Um, and what steps can organizations such as you guys really, you know, do to stay ahead of these trends and always to be ahead of the curve? Um, would love to hear kind of the approaches you guys take on a, on a high level. Don't use IoT devices. Pretty simple. True <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing is your your data getting stolen, which I think at this point has probably happened to everybody. Another thing is your, um, you know, your your fridge starts listening to you or whatnot. That stuff's uh, pretty pretty scary for sure. Okay. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, so now I guess, you know, hopping into uh, a more specific question for, for all of you, audit is one of the you know most key and important aspects to guarantee the security of a platform. Um, you know, on a personal level, I've been in this space for probably two, two and a half years here. Um, and, and I've seen kind of this, this standard of, you know, a security audit before hitting mainnet or before going on mainnet. For a lot of our hackathon participants who are listening in right now at the moment, um, who you know how do you guys advise and what would some you know wisdom that you would give to any hackathon participants who are kind of you know bright eyed and, and bushy tailed looking the eyes into the face of you know launching their first protocol on mainnet what types of audits should they look for what should they look for when you know receiving an audit etc i would love to hear all your guys kind of uh, tips and tricks on on audits and what are the most important things and and how to find the best auditors yeah, all right. Um, well, if people are happy, I can take this one first. Uh, well, 
uh, we we usually get this question a lot, like how often should uh, like how how often should an audit be conducted, or how soon should we submit data or transactions or like whatever that is to to an audit. So basically, uh, my advice, personal advice, would be to get a pen on paper and try to uh, specifically draw like a, a protocol specification before you go into the code. Because mostly of the issues we identify, specifically in Cosmosmos, could be uh, mitigated like in the early stages, right? So, and as the protocol actually grows and then it becomes more uh, and then it becomes more complex, uh, these things can easily go overlooked. You know, like people can actually miss stuff. And then my advice would be like try to draw a map uh, of the project of the protocol. And then try to actually ask yourself questions, right? So try to uh, to to think uh, if the particular function is actually doing what it's meant to be doing, and then trying to uh, have like all the actors uh, of the uh, of the of of the uh, of a particular protocol or a particular solution, and trying to actually break uh, the code or even the specification you design uh, before you submit to uh, to another, right? So. Uh, we believe the audit is the very last step of a project going on, uh, live on chain, especially on mainnet. And then uh, it doesn't really need to be like uh, audit and, and gone forever. Like I think uh, security audit is very important, but uh, as in in a collaboration uh, way, right? Because uh, uh, security audit is not really like 100% finding rights. Uh, firms can actually miss stuff depending on the complexity of the of of the of the protocol because we get paid to do an audit by basically understanding uh, how a particular protocol works in a given time, right? And then we're talking about like I don't know, like twenty thousand lines of code which you have to digest in like I don't know two to three weeks. And then <clears throat> most of the part includes, of course, like line to line uh, review. Uh, but well, one of the most uh, important part would be to actually understand what the protocol does and then how it does it, right? So basically, draw a map and then you know thinking uh, how how we can break it and then how we can leverage or how we can tamper uh, with details and then you know in a in a in a particular way that we should not be doing. So basically, it's the core um, of audits. So uh, in summary, uh, uh, we would advise uh, before submitting data to audits, having like a review uh, um, uh, from the team itself, like trying to get like one or two developers to uh, to actually uh, do the review first uh, before submitting to audit. And then especially work on the documentation side of things as well, because it's much easier for us to, to rely on uh, very rich documentation than actually rely on the code and open ourselves to an uh, in, in interpretation of what a particular function should be doing, rather than go to the documentation and making sure what that particular function or what that particular functionality should be uh, doing. Yeah, 100%. I think then it's on, on point there. You know, I think having solid documentation is one of the better things a project can do that will make sure that you know, you're building with security in mind also and, and being mindful of that and then also helping auditors I think hopping on calls um, with with auditors, you know, everyone has their style, how they like to work, but you know, having good communication, um, you know, making sure that the uh, you know the process of, of fixing whatever is is also well understood. You know, generally having an idea of okay, we're gonna you know come through with an initial report for ourselves. You know, we come with an initial report to the team, amend issues internally, give them sort of you know uh, a heads up on hey, this is how we'd recommend to fix this. This is how we'd recommend them. Sort of have an open conversation there um so yeah I, I think having really solid documentation and just good lines of communication with your auditors is absolutely key oh yeah can't stress that enough good documentation so we so we do audits i don't think we will even do the audit if there isn't good documentation um so you know the audit isn't like it's not like it, it, you know, security shouldn't be an afterthought. It, it needs to be like an active part of the development process. And the most important thing teams can do is is um, is write good documentation, is structure their code well, have have good comments, and you know, explain, make things kind of self-explanatory, and structure the process so that it's it, it structure your development so that it's as easy as possible for auditors when they show up. I mean, your goal is to make the job of, of, of the audits um, and, and, and the auditors really easy and, and good documentation and especially good specifications uh, can really help because you want to make it 
easy for, for auditors or someone reviewing to actually quickly uh, understand the protocol and, and, and so that they can, you know, they don't have to spend time sort of reverse engineering the protocol from the code. It should be really easy, you know, from the docs or, or, or the spec. One of the thing, one of the tools we built recently that we just released is a specification language called Quint. Um, so you can check that out on, on GitHub and formal system slash slash Quint. This is a language designed to make it really easy for engineers to write specifications for their protocols that are also executable. So you can play with these specifications. You can get a sort of, um, you can get a sort of uh, uh, understanding of how your protocol is supposed to behave. You can, you can write invariants and, and, and test them and you can actually generate tests that you can run against the real, uh, real implementation. And so as part of our, our audit work, what we often like to do is we'll write uh, we'll write little specifications for the for what we think um, the protocol is supposed to be doing, and then we'll generate tests from that and run those tests against um, against the implementation, so that we can shake out more complex bugs, a sort of more advanced fuzz testing, rather than just kind of reading the code. Um, and so, the better specified and, and and the better understood the protocol is, and the easier it is for the for the auditors to kind of come in and, and understand it, the more powerful. Um, you know, the uh, approach they're able, they're able to take. And that's something, you know, we, we've especially uh, kind of focused on and, and, and tried to specialize in is really helping teams get uh, clearer about what their actual protocol is doing, what the, what the invariants and the guarantees of their protocol are, are supposed to be and writing those down in, in a clear way that's not just in English, but is also actually executable and, and can be played with using, you know, a REPL or a simulator and, and so on. And so, um, so I encourage folks to check out Twint, uh, Quint. Hopefully at some point, you know, we won't, we'll refuse to do audits unless they come with a, with a protocol specification in Quint, but it's probably a little early for that. But um, that's kind of the ambition is, 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 is to really make software development, you know, uh, more to qualify more firmly as an engineering discipline where there are like clear specifications where you can actually test the specifications, reason about them, and then look at the compatibility between the specifications and, um, and the actual implementation. And, and, and that can help uh, with security, you know, really a long way because so much, so often the, the implementation serves as the specification. And that's a real problem because then it makes it much more difficult to actually reason about the logic of the protocol as separate from the logic of the implementation and things that are implementation details kind of get all coupled in. And, and, and so it's more difficult to reason about and, and find sort of clear uh, protocol level bugs or, or test for protocol level, uh, protocol level issues. So really encouraging people to think about the protocol, document the protocol, try using a specification language like Quint, which was you know, designed to be really accessible to engineers. You don't have to be a mathematician to use it um, and, uh, and, and, and play around. And, and then, uh, you know, that, that can also really help make the lives of auditors easier so that they can do a more, you know, in-depth analysis of, of the protocol and find more complicated bugs. Awesome. Awesome stuff there, guys. And now to, to jump to more to um, SCV and, and Zocchio and, and how you guys are really supporting this, you know, Injective Hackathon. Um, both SCV and Zocchio are collaborating with the Injective Hackathon and providing exclusive benefits for the builders and the ecosystem projects. Um, can you guys share some more details for a lot of our listeners today on what you guys will be providing on potentially, you know, the audit side, um, et cetera, um, for, for many of these protocols that could be looking to launch? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So protocols can actually read out, uh, reach out to us uh, with questions or with anything uh, they want in terms of the specification prior the uh, the prior the audit. So basically, we want to work together with projects and teams to make sure they are they are uh, having uh, a security minded by default since they want right. So since from the ground up. So we believe this is very beneficial uh, for the teams and and actually protocols and especially to us at the end of the day because we're gonna be having more exposure to the uh, to the project itself and then to the protocols and then be able to work together in a in like in a co collaboration <clears throat> way. Uh, everything prior uh, the audit, right? So and then as soon as the audit comes, so we should be able to uh, identify uh, and then go into like a deeper review uh, specifically. And uh, we're definitely going to offer like uh, a super uh, audit di uh, rate discount for projects launching on uh, Injective and then especially uh, projects incubated from, uh, from the hackathon uh, itself. So uh, our DMs are open, so our uh, auditing team and support team is actually willing to help uh, all the projects from the hackathon. So please feel free to reach out to us, ask, ask, us, ask 
uh, of questions. And then if, you, if you're not sure about anything or about like a particular implementation, if you're concerned about like security bugs or anything that's not like 100% clear, we are more than happy to facilitate and work out with you guys. Yeah, as far as, uh, as, as, far as ourselves, you know, I think the, the injective team, the ecosystem is, is very promising. Um, you know, we have a ton of partners, whether that's VCs, incubation funds, et cetera, that are looking at the space and really interested right now. Um, we've, we've collaborated with, with the injective, you know, team to, to offer a discount together jointly for some of the people that do, you know, some of the projects that, that are very promising and, uh, do, do very well in the hackathon. And, uh, likewise, I mean, we'd be more than happy to speak to anyone and, you know, sort of put our resources, um, you know, at, at your disposal, whether that's auditing services, whether that's, you know, oh, I'd love to be introduced to a fund, et cetera, um, or just a chat, you know, we're building some pretty cool in-house solutions as well. So, you know, just have, you know, the, the full arsenal of, of Zokio and Toshi, our, our sister company, our fund, um, you know, at the disposal of everybody in the ecosystem. Awesome, guys. Well, well, thanks for that. And, and for many of our listeners, if you have, you know, any other thoughts, you can reach out and, and find more details through the injective.com backslash hackathon site, as well as through our t- Twitter and through also these guys' Twitters. Um, you know, I, I want to thank all, all three of our, our panelists today for joining. Um, with that, I think we're going to have last remarks here. Um, from each of you, if you have any kind of last words to, to, to say, but, you know, we've had an absolute, you know, absolute pleasure to have you guys on this panel speaking to many of our hackathon participants. Again, this is a recorded space. So several of our, our listeners will come back and, and tune in and listen and, and hear a lot of the wisdom that was brought to you by, you know, even one of the Cosmos founders himself. So um, with that, we'll give you guys each uh, a quick brief moment to kind of give last words here and Again, huge thanks from the entire Injective community and and looking forward to continuing to collaborate with all of you personally and your organizations moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, thanks for for having us on. Uh, It was great to be on here with with Ethan and uh, and Vini to discuss some of this stuff. I think, you know, looking at the news in the space, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't take um, cybersecurity seriously. Uh, It's important, you know, especially if you're planning on, on being a project that's going to be more of a, you know, unfortunately juicy target um, for, for hacking, you know, or, or phishing or whatever else could happen, you know, you definitely want to get an audit or, you know, multiple audits from, from quality auditors. And so, you know, happy to, to be pushing that for that in the space. So thanks for having us on and, uh, thanks for dedicating some time to this. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thanks for having me and, uh, good luck to all the hackathon participants and, uh, be sure to check out Quint. It was designed to delight you. So if you, if you try it and you're not delighted, uh, I want to hear from you immediately so we can, <laughs> we can fix that. But we really, we, you know, we care a lot about, um, quality assurance and, and software engineering and helping, helping devs build more secure protocols and, and helping them reason about their protocols and, and, and test them in sort of easier ways and, and be able to cover more sort of complex cases to reduce the incidence of, of bugs and make audits more effective and, and, and all of that. So, um, so check that out and, and, you know, consider, uh, um, uh, consider using it and really focusing on you know the security of your of your protocols and um, you know we hope to see uh, to hope to see some of you in in production at some point in in the future so yeah good luck yeah awesome I just want to thank you uh, everybody for making this call happening uh, and then especially people in in the hackathon as well and then uh, on behalf of SCV we 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 have our doors and GMs open so please reach out to us and then eventually if we reach out to you guys. In a, in a particular project, probably it's not really good news because we do a lot of like uh, responsible disclosure. So uh, whether if you have like a vulnerability in your code or your contract, at just a matter of time, we'll get to you. <laughs> now, jokes aside, we just want to thank you everybody and then thanks for the space. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Well, again, want to give a last thank you, Ethan, absolute pleasure having you. And, and also, you know, the, the, the also the, you guys offering on the security audit side with SCV and, and Zokio is, is so uh, well appreciated by our community. So huge thanks again and looking forward to staying in touch. Um, again, I listed all the details before as to how to stay in tune um, and in touch. But again, with that, um, we'll wrap things up here and uh, look forward to speaking with you guys again soon. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Injective Hackathon panel. 
discussing tendermint and shared security. Recorded on Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to terraspaces.org slash donate to show some support. Now I'm sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay. Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way. Resuscitating major players in the waiting room. Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools. Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom. Slayed a few in my early years, often ate the shroom. Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news to let us know what we should believe as the latest truth. Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio, trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role sorting through support from your endorsements of course we're tripping balls handed reports in the latest proof ain't a way to move change of view just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop picking at the dinner finger licking like the plate is gizzle kick it for a minute then show me what that thinker do two plus two show me what that thinker do two plus two show me what that thinker do two plus two Show me what that thing could do. Two plus two. Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab, messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the latch, letting rhythm scratch Over shit, spitting facts with my vision smash Big drip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastised into digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of peck of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner finger, licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute, then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Terror Spaces